Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This week on It Starts With Attraction. Emotional eating. It's something that the majority of people struggle with in some way, in some form, in some fashion, because there's typically going to be a time in life where we eat something out of our emotions, not necessarily out of hunger or needing to nourish our body in the moment. However, there's actually a spectrum of this emotional eating and how it can go all the way to binge eating, compulsive eating, and even the opposite side of that spectrum where people restrict food and go more into the side of anorexia. You may not think that this episode applies to you, but I guarantee you that when you listen to this entire episode, you are going to gain some huge insight into your relationship with food. And even deeper than that, how your relationship with food may actually be coming from some deeper emotional issues that you have in your life. And it may be thwarting your ability to choose nourishing food choices for yourself because there's some deeper things going on. Let's talk today with Emma Murphy. Emma is a highly experienced eating disorders specialist who has spent over 11 years working in private practice over in Ireland. She has a great deal of experience working with both individuals and groups dealing with various forms of disordered eating. And again, I don't want you to hear that term disordered eating and think that's not me. I, I'm not saying it's you, but I really believe that either you or someone you know would benefit from the content we talked about in this episode. Emma works a lot with people who are wanting to find freedom from the food choices, the way that they feel after the food choices that they're making. And she also uses neuroscience and cognitive behavioral therapy in her approach. And so we touch in all of those areas. She's trained in psychology, so she has a very unique understanding of the psychological way that we can approach topics such as disordered eating, eating disorders, and emotional eating. Let's dive into today's conversation. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be, physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Emma, I am really excited to be talking to you today. And even in our pre-show conversation, you just have a wealth of expertise and experience and I believe great knowledge about the topic that we're going to be talking about today, which we're going to start with some disordered eating, but we may get into some other topics as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Emma. I'm delighted to be here, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, let's start with this. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you became interested in working with people who are struggling with eating disorders or emotional eating in the first place? Sure. So I was working in a completely different area. I was working in small business development. And the day after my 30th birthday, I walked down uh, to the local college uh, on my lunch break and signed up for a full-time degree in psychology. And that came out of working actually with the Rape Crisis Centre as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And it just really sparked my interest in working in the area of, um, you know, psychology and helping people and and getting into that area. It wasn't really a job that was available to me in the mid 80s when I left school. So, you know, it took a while. Um, So I went back and retrained, was was immediately fascinated with eating disorders didn't even really understand why myself at the time. I just was very drawn to the area. I'd had a friend who'd had an eating disorder, you know, and and that kind of thing. I'd come across it in my life, but, you know, nothing major. Um, So I didn't really understand why until I got into when I when I was training to become, you know, a psychotherapist and was doing my own um, counselling and doing my clinical studies. um, It became clear that you get the clients that you need. And I share the personality type that our clients have. So there's a very common personality type that goes with disordered eating. And I have that personality type. I just never had an eating disorder. 
So I got the clients and they got me. And so I was able to work with them very effectively, you know, and, and a lot of what was coming up for them comes up for me or came up for me. Um, I just didn't deal with it by using food. I have my own other coping strategies. So that's that's really where it's at. So it's it's a it's a perfect match, you know, me and the clients. Um, and that's that's where it, that's where it came from. Well, I have to ask, what is that personality type? That seems to struggle with this the most. Yeah, I opened the door to you that. You did, you did. Um, so I'm a perfectionist. Um, so clients with disordered eating tend to be very perfectionistic, high achieving, all or nothing, black or white thinkers. So mm. you're either doing it all right or all wrong. Mm. Um, can be highly self-critical. Um, also then on the other side, which is interesting, even though you could be quite high achieving and doing quite well and, you know, want to create that, you know, persona of, you know, I've got it all going on and I'm doing really well. And you can, you can be doing very well in work or, you know, kind of succeeding in your career. At the same time, you can be quite unassertive and find it difficult to have good boundaries. Hmm. Um, so you can have an insecurity around standing up for yourself and saying no. And that's actually, so it's a lot of clients are people pleasers and it comes out of maybe a, a lot of it comes out of trauma it didn't come out of trauma specifically in my case, although there was, you know, when I look back, I realized actually there was stuff that had happened in my past. Um, but if you think about a client who's been traumatized, you know, in their in their childhood years by maybe living with a parent who had um, who struggled with alcohol, who struggled with mental health um, or some other sort of, you know, issue, mental or physical, um, the children have to defer to the adult. So, you know, let's keep everything quiet. What kind of mood is mom or dad in today? You know, don't don't kick anything off, you know, that kind of way. And so it means that they've sort of been groomed from an early age to put other people's needs ahead of their own. And that's kind of where the people pleasing comes from with a lot of our clients. Um, other personality traits would be the um, constantly... Um, feeling that you're not doing a good enough job hmm. um, and also not really feeling that you deserve fully to be happy or to be well or even to, to look after yourself properly. So that's where some of the self-neglect and lack of self-care comes in for our clients, that they, they actually don't feed themselves properly and they don't feel like they deserve to be fully healthy, fully happy or to be, you know, to, to fully participate in the world. Um hmm. So it can be culturally contextual. It's culturally contextual for me. I grew up in Ireland, a, whole, a very Catholic country at the time, and quite repressed as a as a as an eight. That's how we. That's how it was back then in the sixties and seventies. I was born in the sixties. Um, we've come on a long way since then in Ireland, thank goodness, and we're we're very much more aware of mental health and of counselling and all of that. But that wasn't there for me, you know. So a lot of it was, you know, keeping everything secret, and there was a lot of shame and guilt attached to anything that you did, really. Um, so that's where it came from for me. But that was that's mirrored for a lot of our clients and how they how they operate in the world. Hmm. Okay. So from what I hear you saying, there's two types of people and maybe they overlap some, but the there's that overachiever or high achiever perfectionist type person. But then there's also the person who may feel not good enough, as you said, like they're constantly needing to strive in order to prove themselves or have worth. Are those the two that you're that you mainly see? They're the same person. Oh, it's they're the same person. person. Um, yeah, so there's the perfectionistic side yeah. and the all or nothing side. And, and and you think about that, you're either doing it all right or all wrong. So put that in the context of food. You've got a lot of food rules. You're not allowed to eat this. You're not allowed to eat that. Uh, you let one you know, bite of a muffin pass your lip. That's it. It's game over. And then we're into a day or a couple of days or a week or a month of emotional eating and binge eating. Um, and that goes with, you know, there's also that deep insecurity. Um, it's all a front. You know, there's a there's a there's a lot of that kind of wearing the mask and making sure that everything looks good on the outside. Yeah. But actually, the person is is very fragile on the inside. Mm. So when you work with clients around this, do you start with the food part of it or are you starting somewhere much deeper in healing some of the the deeper parts of what's leading to this? That's a great question, um, Kimberly. It's really, um, it's really important to start where the client is at. Um, and again, having that deep understanding of the personality type and the program that I developed, the Eating Feely program, is built 
to work specifically with this client population and the personality traits that they have. So we do start with the food. We start with CBT, mm-hmm. a cognitive behavioral therapy. So helping the clients to separate their food from their feelings and to get their emotion binge eating under some kind of control. We need to do that piece of work first. Then we need to do the nutritional rehabilitation, which is getting their gut working again and you're resolving some of those physical issues that they're dealing with. Then we go into the neuroscience, which is we've we've touched on that in our pre-interview call, um, helping them to break the autopilots and the habits and kind of change some of those neural pathways. And the last thing we do is actually get into the deeper work and the trauma and anything else that needs to be done. Because really, if the other stuff isn't in place, the foundation isn't there for that deeper work to be done. And that's a mistake that a lot of practitioners make is, you know, somebody says, you know, I'm an emotional eater, I'm a binge eater. And, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic family or I grew up, you know, being bullied or whatever it was. And the, the therapist in, in, in not knowing what they don't know says, well, we'll we'll work on the trauma. And if we resolve that, then the emotional eating will resolve itself spontaneously. And that actually doesn't happen. Hmm. And the main way that you work with clients is in Ireland or are you doing virtual as well? Oh, yeah. So I'm not a sole practitioner. I actually now train other health professionals to specialize in this area. So we have a network of eating freely practitioners now. Um, We've got a lot, obviously, in Ireland and the UK. We're growing our network all the time in the US. And we even have a couple of people um, outside of, you know, the the main territories, as as you would say. We've got somebody in Singapore. We've got somebody in South Africa. And we've even got somebody joining us from Iran and from Dubai at the moment on our training program. So, yeah, it's not just me. I have a team of, of practitioners and um, training more people all of the time because more and more practitioners are coming up against emotional eating and binge eating, especially after COVID, because I think lockdown brought a lot of stuff to the surface um, and emotional eating was one of those issues. That's not necessarily that specific topic, but in general, the, the next question I wanted to ask you was, what is the prevalence of emotional eating, binge, you know, binge, binge eating disorders and after that, the question is, can you further explain what both of those terms mean? Sure. So first of all, with regard to prevalence, um, there's some easy statistics that I can give you that people will, will be able to relate to, which is that at least 30% of adults who are seeking support for weight loss or would describe themselves as like a cereal or yo-yo dieter, they meet the criteria for binge eating disorder. So about a third of adults who are seeking weight loss support meet the criteria for binge eating mm-hmm. disorder. Um, which means that at least part of their weight issue is around their emotional or binge eating. Um, in type 2 diabetes patients, so again, with long-standing you know, struggles with weight and food, it goes up to about 38%. And in patients waiting for or having bariatric surgery, it can be as high as 60%. Mm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So that's kind of the prevalence statistics. Mm. Um, it's also the most gender equal of all um, eating disorders. So it's 60, 40. So, uh, you know, almost 50% are male, but, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly skewed towards women, 60% women, 40% ma- men. Um, and it is the most common of all forms of eating disorder. So if I say eating disorder, people automatically can think anorexia. Some would think bulimia. Hardly anybody thinks binge eating disorder, and yet only one out of 10 eating disorder sufferers has anorexia. The other nine out of 10 are somewhere on the emotional eating, binge eating, bulimia or compulsive overeating spectrum. And we help everybody except those in anorexia, which is a different, Mm -hmm. it's a it's a completely different um, model of of intervention that's needed for anorexia. Um, and to answer your second question, I have forgotten the second yeah. question. <laughs> so let's talk about the definitions and especially the four that oh, yeah. you just mentioned. And you you kind of set it up to be that it's a scale where there's compulsive eating, there's binge eating, there's uh, emotional eating, all a part of this. So can you explain what what that scale looks like and what the ends of the extremes are? Sure. So it is a spectrum. Um, and we're all somewhere on the spectrum, Kimberly, because we all eat for emotional reasons. Everybody eats for emotional reasons. It's one of sure. the, the go to things that we turn to, you know. Um, so I suppose one of the differences is, you know, I would be an emotional eater. Everyone is an emotional eater. But first of all, I don't experience, you know, deep feelings of shame, disgust or guilt after I have, you know, eaten for emotional reasons. So that's one of the key factors is that there's a lot of secrecy and shame around this. And if that's an emotion that you regularly feel after eating when you're not physically hungry, that's certainly one of the the, the signs that this may be, you know, goes deeper and it, it's, it's maybe binge eating disorder. But binge eating is eating um, far more than would be considered 
normal in a in a short period of time it's eating until you're way past the point of fullness so uncomfortably full um it usually means that you're also eating in secret um hiding it from other people and that includes night eating so night eating is a a specific thing where people would maybe go to bed and then they would get back out of bed and go downstairs and eat um and then the, the big differentiator is um, that you are feeling those very strong feelings of, you know, anger, disgust, hatred and guilt, hatred of self um, and guilt. So, you know, I would have a really busy day. I would come home and say, do you know, OK, we're having a takeaway and I'm going to have, you know, half a bottle of wine and then I might have, you know, a dessert and I might, you know, but I know what I'm doing and I know that I'm just comfort eating or emotional eating. I'm a bit stressed. I go to bed that night. I feel fine about it. I get up the next morning. I go about my day and I might do it again for a month or two months or three months, you know, depending where our clients will be engaging in this behavior far more regularly. So it could be anything from once a week to every day or even more than once a day. Um, and the, it's the emotions that go with it that really are important. The secrecy and the emotions, they're the differentiators. If you have bulimia, then the only difference between binge eating disorder and bulimia. So binge eating disorder, you do not purge with bulimia. You purge. So you're you're trying to, you know, use a compensatory behavior to avoid weight gain from the binge eating activity. Um, and then compulsive overeating is really eating very abnormally large amounts of food um, it, 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 on a sustained level. So, you know, you're eating a lot all of the time. So that's kind of where the spectrum is. But we're all in the emotional eating part of the spectrum. It's just how far up the spectrum you are then, um, where the cutoffs are for the other sort of diagnoses, if you like. But you know what? I don't even like to do diagnostics and I don't really like to diagnose people. If you're in distress about your relationship with food or your weight and you need help, you know, you get help and that's it. You don't have to meet a diagnosis to ask for help. Hmm. So this really has more to do with those underlying feelings, like you said, of anger, hatred of self, guilt. And not as much with the amount of calories that someone is eating or what their weight is on a scale. Absolutely not, Kimberly. And that's a really excellent observation. And very few people pick up on that. But I was only doing a, a training day with um, our national health service yesterday. And, you know, somebody said, like, what is a binge? Like, how many calories mm. constitute a binge? And I said, two slices of bread could be a binge for, for, for one client, mm. you know, where four loaves of bread you know, plus a gallon of ice cream, plus two takeaways is a binge for somebody else. Mm. Um, it's how it makes you feel. It ha- it depends on whether you're hungry or not. Mm. Um, it depends on what sort of hunger you're trying to meet with the food. Um, are you doing it in secret? And is it making you feel, you know, shame is one of the, the, the biggest emotions that we talk about. And Shame itself is interesting. It's kind of hard to quantify. Brene Brown has done a huge amount of work around shame and a lot. We would recommend a lot of her work to clients to understand the the, the concept of shame. Um, but if you think about being embarrassed about something, um, so we all get embarrassed. Um, you could think about being guilty about something. So something went wrong or there was a mistake. You either did something deliberately or by accident and something happened and then you were you were guilty. But, you know, you apologize and you move on. So you can be wrong or do something wrong. Shame is an internalized, very strong sense of being wrong, as in I'm not right. I don't fit in. I don't belong. So shame is very deep and internalized. And that's the emotion that binge eating generally triggers. So that's one of the differentiators. Does that make sense? This makes a ton of sense. And the next question I want to ask you, I'm going to explain a little bit about a personal experience and and then I would like you to answer this question. But uh, so several years ago, probably now 10, eight years ago, I was heavily involved in, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with CrossFit, but the CrossFit yes. community, eating the paleo diet, Whole30, like very, I'm not saying these are bad things to do, but I was very restrictive and it started to, I got to where, to what you were talking about, to where there was fear of if I eat a corn tortilla or a slice of bread that has gluten in it. Like I was terrified and I would avoid going to restaurants or on trips where I didn't feel like I would have complete control over Mm -hmm. what I was eating. And um, the thought of doing that was incredibly too much to bear. And so then I kind of swung the pendulum the other way when, like you were talking about, when if one moment I did have that slice of bread, it would be like 
just the avalanche would would unleash yeah. moving forward from that. And so I wanted to ask you, how do you think that, uh, I don't even, hmm, the only way I can think to ask this right now is like fad diets, social media, but even more than that, when you're involved in a community where you find your sense of belonging by doing these things and doing yes. them well, like how do you think mm -hmm. that is impacting society and people who are struggling in this area? Yes. Yeah, incredibly, uh, incredibly badly is how it's impacting people. Um, and what you're speaking about that 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 particular experience that you had. So I'm not speaking about any um, particular like this isn't about CrossFit. This isn't right. about Paleo. This Absolutely isn't about Whole Thirty. Yes, it's about a community or a message um, or an intent. We speak about the intent all of the time. Mm -hmm. What is the intent behind these rules or these you know um, plans that you are following? Um, and if the if the intent is weight loss and it's to maintain or restrict, you know, it's to restrict to food intake and to maintain a weight goal uh, to the point that you are terrified, as you say, you know, that you're doing, you know, you've won tortilla and like, oh, that's it. You know, mm -hmm. I've fallen off the wagon to use an addiction phrase, you know, um, and then it's all, you know, then it's a free for all. Mm -hmm. um, that's when there is a problem. Mm -hmm. So and what you're describing there, Kimberly, is very, you know, we would put that into the orthorexia mm -hmm. sort of uh, category on the spectrum. So, again, if you if you come backwards on my spectrum, you know, compulsive overeating, bulimia, binge eating disorder, emotional eating, and then we're maybe into restriction. So then we're into orthorexia and then we go into anorexia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, orthorexia can often be a precursor to anorexia where people get really caught up in that idea of like, well, how far can I push this? And remember, we are talking about our all or nothing, you know, winning or losing, succeeding or failing client. So it's very easy for them to cut, cut up a deal. Well, I mean, how far can I push this? Can I eat a bit less today? Can I eat a bit less today? And I find that intermittent fasting in particular, which is one of the latest fads mm -hmm. that's out there, that can be incredibly triggering for a lot of clients. And, you know, I hear people saying, oh, I've got my window of eating down to four hours a day. And, you're like, well, that's not right. Like, that's not healthy. And you you must know that that's not good for you. And, yet, you know, I only eat in a two and a half hour window. Really? So, you know, it's always about the intent. So if somebody tells me that they're following a very strict um, food protocol, um, you know, or they don't eat carbs at all, they cut out all carbs or, you know, or the, even, and I will say this, even that they have, you know, recently turned vegetarian or they're vegan, um, there's nothing wrong with choosing a, a, a way of life that is driven by your ethics and your moral. My brother is vegetarian. I think I think he'll be vegan in the next couple of years. He's you know he used to he used to be a fisherman. He won't even fish anymore because he feels sorry for the fish. Mm -hmm. So his intent is it's around you know the animals and not wanting to do harm. That's okay. But if you're choosing to you know follow these plans with the sole intent of cutting out food groups and giving yourself a rationale for not eating, you know, whole entire food groups, that's when it's a problem because the intent is not around your health or your well-being or your ethics. It's around weight loss and restriction. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. Your, your therapy card deck, so switching gears just a little bit, but your therapy card deck, the four energies of emotional eating, you talk about different emotions that can contribute to these eating behaviors that we've been talking about. Can you explain a little bit further what those four energies are and how they contribute to this scale that we've been discussing? Absolutely. So the uh, the four energies are fire, water, air, and earth. Um, very much taken from, you know, it's from Sakim Reiki. It's from, you know, Ayurveda. It's from energy work. And the fire energy is your mental energy. So, you know, really it's that red alert, red alert. You know, a lot of our clients having experienced trauma, their their brain can be sort of stuck in fight or flight. Um, so they're very hyper vigilant. They're constantly on the alert for like the next danger and the next danger and, you know, the the threat. Um, and that's a very triggering, of course, for their emotional and binge eating because they will self-regulate with food. So their cortisol level, their stress hormone goes up. And so then they look for the high sh fat, high sugar, high salt food mm. to produce a dopamine reaction, which which counteracts the cortisol and brings them back down again. So that's very much about self-regulation. It's about that mental energy. The uh, earth energy is your physical energy. 
So it's how you relate to food, how you relate to your body. So it's about, do you move your body? Are you connected to your body? Are you listening to your body? Um, you know, is your heart energy good? Is your, is your gut intuition good? Is your gut in good shape? Um, so working all, it's very much about the body and what you're actually eating, using food as a medicine and, you know, resetting your relationship with food and your body. The air energy is your emotional energy. So, um, can you feel your emotions? Do you allow yourself to feel your emotions? Can you name your emotions? Are you comfortable with emotions? Or are you trying to bury them all under the food, um, you know, or numb out from them or avoid them? And then finally, your water energy is your spiritual energy. And, you know, that's where a lot of clients are very blocked because if they're stuck in fight or flight and they're in the mental energy all the time, really there's very little connection to their spiritual energy energy and their actual, their own intuition and the, 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 the voice in their own mind the kind voice that is actually trying to tell them what it is that they really want or need. So by looking at where those energies are blocked and where they've been misdirected to maintain the emotional eating or binge eating, we can break that connection and, and redirect that energy towards um, self-compassion, self-kindness and um, self-care. And when you are authentically uh, treating yourself better in your mind, then you will eat better. You will look after yourself. You will nourish instead of punish yourself. And that's what the goal is to bring clients to that point. Uh, you mentioned earlier, and forgive me, I didn't type I didn't type it out, but you mentioned the, the process you take clients through when you start working with them. Can you repeat yes. that one more time? Yeah, so it's cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. So that's giving clients the tools that they need to begin taking back control over the food and reducing their episodes of emotional binge eating, you know, as quickly as possible. And you're not going to stop binging straight away and you shouldn't expect to. There's always a honeymoon period, but it is going to come back because we have to slowly work towards replacing the binge eating as the coping strategy with other things before the client can actually take binge eating away completely. So I want to be very clear about that because a lot of clients fear that, you know, they'll be told, well, you have to stop binge eating straight away. And, you know, of course, we can't do that because we have nothing else there for to replace it or to, to, to do instead. So the cognitive behavioral therapy is about slowly separating their food from their feelings. Um, and giving them more control over their actual eating. Then it's nutritional rehabilitation. And again, we start that very quickly because we need to rehabilitate the gut. Um, and why do we need to do that? Well, everybody's hormones are out of balance. Um, they've lost connection with their uh, feeling hungry and feeling full triggers. So that's our ghrelin and our leptin. Ghrelin tells you you're feeling hungry. Leptin tells you you're feeling full. But our clients have overridden those cues a long time ago. Um, and then your metabolism also with, you know, restrictive dieting and constant dieting and going in and out of that diet mindset that impacts your gut and your body's ability to, to metabolize and process food. And um, so we need to kind of reset that as well. We need to get your cortisol level down and, and your serotonin level up. So reducing the stress and increasing the feel good hormones. Um, then we go into the neuroscience. So that's about breaking the autopilots and the habit loops, because a lot of this is very automatic and happening outside of the client's conscious control. That's really important because when a client understands that, they're able to, to let go of a lot of the, of the guilt and the shame because it's not them, it's their brain. Their brain is acting in a, in a misguided way to keep the client safe. But of course, it's not keeping them safe anymore. It's actually creating a whole other problem. Um, and then finally, the, the, the fourth part of the program, which covers kind of everything else, is mindfulness and self-compassion. But that's the starting point and the entry into maybe whatever deeper work needs to be, gone, to be done. So that could include forgiveness work. It's all about self-love as well and developing that ability to love themselves enough to look after themselves better and feed themselves better. Um, we could be doing a bit of inner child work. We could be doing a bit of family systems work. Mm. Um, we could be doing a bit of relationship therapy, you know, getting into whatever that individual client needs and working on the particular things that were triggering or maintaining the binge eating in their lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. How long does it typically take to work with a client through all these? So our program will be about six months. Um, and that would be maybe weekly for a period and then fortnightly for a period after that. But also what we're doing is we're sowing the seeds and, you know, bringing everything out into the open and throwing it all into the center and going, OK, what needs to be worked on here? Um, so it can be how long is a piece of string either. It depends very much on what the client wants to continue doing after that. But during the course of the six month program, we are going to separate the food from the feelings and we are going to separate the past from the present. And if the client wants to continue doing other work or deeper work, they want to continue working on their past or they want to continue working on issues that 
our process has brought up for them, they can continue doing that. But we should have substantially or completely resolved the emotional binge eating by the end of the six month process. And it sticks. If the client keeps doing the work, mm, yes, it sticks. Yeah. There's an old joke. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. <laughs> That's good. I I feel like in the fact, maybe I've heard that, but I've forgotten it. That one is, that one's a good one. Okay. So uh, give us just an example, if you can, about when you start with CBT and you are really working to replace those those thoughts, those negative thoughts and feelings leading to the binge eating behaviors with something else, what does that look like? Where are you getting clients to start recognizing the thought before it turns into an action? Perfect. Um, So the first tool that we share with clients is the HALT chart. And what the first thing is, so it's like a grid and it's got 21 boxes on it. And if there is a facility, Kimberly, for you to share resources with clients, we're happy to make that hall chart available and a video of how it works. So that's something that we're happy to share with your with your listeners. Um, But effectively, it splits the day up into three sections. So largely breakfast to lunch, lunch to dinner and dinner to bedtime. And again, our all or nothing client, if they, you know, fall off the wagon at 11 o'clock in the morning by having a muffin, a tea break when they meant to have a rice cake. Um, instead of allowing that to write the whole day off, they can call, they can see it as a lapse and they can get back on track and they could still have a good afternoon and a good evening. So it's, it's breaking that all or nothing thinking. So getting into that perfectionistic uh, personality trait straight away. But the other thing that we ask them to do, if they do have a lapse on the chart, that they then ask themselves the four questions of the HALT acronym. So H is, am I hungry? So was I hungry? Was that what was that the trigger? Am I not eating enough? You know, have I fed myself properly today or am I restricting and under eating? And the trigger has actually been hunger. A is, am I angry? Am I anxious or am I avoiding something? So this is when we're getting into the like, what is the real trigger? Did something happen? Did something happen in work? Do I have a bullying boss or a you know manipulative co-worker? Is it the day that I call in and see my mom on the way home? Uh, do I have a particularly difficult friend? Are there issues in my relationship? So am I angry? Am I anxious? Or am I avoiding something? And you know that's opening the door to doing the work on that aspect of their lives. L is am I lonely or bored? Um, so a lot of isolation, you know, a lot of clients can feel very lonely, even if they are obviously in a relationship, in a family, you know, in a community. Um, COVID and, and lockdown certainly brought that up to the fore, you know, obviously very clearly. Um, but we also put the word bored in there as well, because a lot of people would say that they're bored. And that word is always interesting for me because people are very rarely actually bored. Bored is a word that a lot of people, clients can use when they, they they don't have the language for their emotions. So we would maybe use that chart where we help people identify their feelings and kind of put names on how they're feeling. Um, so that's just, we have that word bored in there because it's important to acknowledge it. If, you, if you're using that where I was bored, I eat out of bored and I'm bored. Um, but quite a lot of the time you're not bored. And then finally, T is, am I tired or tense? So again, tired, low in energy, you know, tense, obviously stressed, or is it a treat? And that's a big self-saboteur for people to tell, I had a really good week, so, you know, I'm going to treat myself this weekend, or I had a really bad day, so I'm going to treat myself tonight. Um, so that's the HALT acronym. And that's the first thing we start with. Got it. So they're using that, they're getting into a habit of using that when, before they eat or when they're evaluating after they eat? So at the beginning, of course, they're looking back retrospectively. If they have a binge, if they have a lapse, Mm. the first thing the chart helps them to do is get back on track and not let it turn into, we say, a relapse or a collapse. Mm. Um, And then the second that they're doing is they're looking back and going where there's a blank on the chart. So what we ask clients to do as well is to actually mark on the chart where they do well, where they eat appropriately and feed themselves properly and don't binge. So that's where the tick mark or the smiley face or the star or whatever they're putting onto their chart works. And we leave the um, episodes of binging blank um, because, again, clients are very good at tracking when they fail and they're not as good at tracking when they succeed. So for them to look at a chart and see, well, actually, 13 times out of 21, I did okay. 
you know, but visually to see that where in their mind they're saying, I'm, I'm always binge eating or I can't stop yeah. binge eating. But actually there's periods of the day where you don't. So, you know, and looking at those and, and seeing where the pattern is. So where do you do well and, and why? Why are you able to, to, to do well at those times? But then where do you binge and what's going on there? So, yes, at the beginning, it's retrospective and they're looking back and going, what happened there? But of course, you're making the connection between you know, the behavior and what was the trigger. And we do a lot more work than during the program around the triggers and, you know, kind of reducing the, the number of triggers that you have and working on what triggers you. So it is no longer a trigger. What, what about a client who they, because as we mentioned before, the definition of this has nothing to do with calories or weight. It is how you feel about when you eat. So what about when you have a client who maybe they aren't eating enough, or maybe they are eating just metabolically what they should be, but they still have these feelings of guilt and shame. The next part, the nutritional rehab, are you using that nutritional information as a way to help them logically understand, which is never going to overcome fully their, their emotions, but to logically understand like you need, like you are eating enough um, or is that even a, something that you typically see where people feel guilty about eating when they actually are eating what they're supposed to be eating calorie wise? Oh, for sure. Um, and we don't do any form of calorie counting or weighing or measuring or, you know, that's not we don't do any form of we, we absolutely have no focus on weight loss in mm -hmm. our program. And if somebody's looking to weight gain, then we're not the program for them. Sure. That's a different that's a different thing. Um, but I think it's very interesting. You know, I always say, you know, we could hold when we're having a bit of a joke and you have to, you do have to be able to laugh. I kind of say, you know, if we held a calorie Olympics where we put plates of food down in front of people and said, add up how many calories are in that. Like our clients are like human calculators. They can calculate every plate of food that's put in front of them. They know exactly how many calories in everything. And it's a point of pride for me that I literally could not tell you how many calories are in one piece of food. Like I have no idea how many calories are in anything. Mm. I have not a clue. Um, so we want to get people out of that mindset. And what we use is that um, phrase of like, are you nourishing or punishing yourself? Mm -hmm. So are you restricting? Are you under eating? Are you barely eating enough, like barely eating enough to meet that minimum criteria that you've read about somewhere or metabolically or whatever it is, measuring all of that. And instead, we're just saying, you know, food is as much um, emotional as it is physical, you know, so there's physical hunger and then there's emotional hunger. And of course, binge eating is about trying to feed an emotional hunger. It's not about trying to feed a physical hunger. Um, but again, is the trigger hunger? Are you eating enough? Are you just barely eating enough? Are you restricting yourself to like the bare minimum so that, you know, and that's quite complex. Yeah. And again, it's got nothing to do with calories. It's got nothing to yeah. do with your BMI. It's got nothing to do with, you know, we just don't touch that. That's because that's not where we are. Our three pillars, you know, underpinning our program are the three F's, which are to feed yourself properly Forgive yourself quickly. So if there's a lapse in either direction, you know, forgive yourself quickly and, and get back on track and focus on your health and well-being, not your weight as the goal. And out of that, the magic can happen. And if there is weight to be lost or your body is carrying more weight than it needs to, it will reset itself and it will do what it needs to do. But there is no aspect of intentional weight loss in our program because this is an inside out job. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to do the work on the inside first and then things will change on the outside as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Well, a point that you mentioned earlier that I thought was very poignant as well is just the amount of hormones being out of whack and even the cortisol when you're constantly in this guilt and shame cycle and mm -hmm. how in that second part, when you're doing the nutritional rehab, there's a focus of decreasing the cortisol and increasing mm -hmm. the serotonin, how do you increase the serotonin aspect of it? So if you if you decrease, like the thing is, if you have high cortisol, you can't have high serotonin at the same time. Do you know, they're kind of, they're inversely related. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when we get the cortisol down, um, there's more of an opportunity for people to get their serotonin up. But we are encouraging people to do things that, that promote, you know, good mental health and balance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
people's lives become very small when they're an emotional eater or a binge eater. You know, they tend to be socially isolated. They don't want to go out. They don't want to socialize. They, don't, they certainly don't want to do anything that involves food because it's so stressful. They've often let go of their hobbies or interests. They've stopped doing things that they used to enjoy. Um, so, you know, that's a big part of it, too, where you're just organically trying to build the client's life back out again and widen their focus so that it's not just all about food. Um, and that certainly helps kind of, you know, increase their serotonin. However, I am going to mention something very specific, um, Kimberly, and um, I know some of the listeners are, are probably not going to like this, but, you know, it's important that, like, that I say it. An awful lot of clients who are constantly dieting, restricting are focused on eating, you know, the no fat, low fat, 0% sugar, diet food, diet drinks. And of course, the big um, issue there is a lot of those foods have had to have replacement chemicals put into them to make them palatable, to make them tasty, because the fat and the sugar has been taken out, the natural fat, the natural sugar has been taken out. Yeah. And diet drinks are one of the biggest culprits. And I'm going to include flavored waters in that so like your fruity flavored water and that kind of thing if you look at the label as everyone's heard about aspartame now at this stage i think everybody has heard the word aspartame aspartame is a compound that's in a lot of the diet drinks and diet yogurts and you know a lot of diet foods and aspartame has a compound in it called phenylalanine and if you go onto the Coca-Cola website, you'll actually see, and I am going to call out Coke on this, they um, they actually have a warning now on their website that there's phenylalanine in their diet drinks. And that is because phenylalanine actually neutralizes tryptophan in your diet. Mm. So we we need to eat tryptophan to make serotonin. Mm -hmm. Okay, we, we, don't, we don't manufacture tryptophan in our body. So it's an essential amino acid that we have to take in in our diet. Mm. But if you're drinking a lot of diet drinks, you're neutralizing the tryptophan. And that means you cannot manufacture serotonin. So I often say to people when they're picking up their diet drink, just to say to themselves, I'm choosing to drink a depressant. Wow. Because that's actually what you're doing. Um, and a lot of our clients will be drinking a lot of diet drinks, mm -hmm. you know, or those fizzy flavored waters or that. And so that's one of the pieces of work that we do now. I'd say if you're drinking a lot of them, don't go cold turkey because that's, you know, that's harsh and, and you will feel the effects of it. Like you will actually go through a withdrawal uh, because there's a lot of chemicals in there. Do you know um, if you're drinking the energy drinks, the, the monsters, the Red Bulls, whatever it is, you know, those kind of drinks. Um, we would we would work with a client to kind of incrementally reduce that and replace it with something that's, um, you know, not as full of chemicals and compounds. Um, but it's it's important to understand that. And that is that is really important when it comes to serotonin and mood, just to understand that, you know, you may be eating foods that you think are actually good for you because their diet, you know, and no calorie and da, 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 and actually for your mental health. They're not good. No, that, you know, I didn't know that. I mean, I knew there were a lot of negative effects of aspartame. I did not realize that the, I'm not going to say it the way you, de you did. <laughs> yes. It takes me a long time to learn no, how to I say that. So. I bet so. I, I, in America, that is on the can. It will say contains blah, blah, blah. But no one knows what that means or does. But it's so key because tryptophan is also not just a precursor to serotonin, but down the line, melatonin, which Correct. is going to affect sleep. your sleep a hundred percent. I did not realize that. Yeah. Wow. Good for people to know, right? Really good. Yeah. And if you're waking up, if you're, if you're saying to yourself, well, oh, I sleep really well, I crash out. Um, you know, often that's because you've got it, you had the sugar high from the binging or whatever it was, and then you have a sugar crash. So you do crash out. But the, the, the actual test is when you wake up in the morning, do you, do you feel refreshed? Are you jumping out of bed and ready to go? Or do you have brain fog? Yeah. Do you have a sugar hangover? And, you know, that's another sign that, you know, that it's, it's not, it's not restorative sleep. It's not, it's not good sleep. Sure. Sure. Well, Emma, I could honestly talk to you all day about this subject. I think we have very kindred uh, interests and in things that we talk about. But as as we wrap up, and hopefully I can have you back in the future as we continue into this conversation. But as we wrap up, what advice do you have to someone if they've been listening to this and they say, you know what, I... I feel a lot of these things that Emma has been talking about. I do have a lot of feelings of shame after I after I eat and I'm kind of stuck in this cycle. Where do you recommend people start to begin to break some of those negative 
thoughts they have about their food? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that, you know, not everybody can afford to go and have private therapy and private support, you know, and that's that's important. And we are not uh, much and all as I'd love the public health system to take on our program and have everybody educated so that everybody can access the help. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do something as small as maybe buying something like the card deck, my, you know, the four energies card deck. And there's a PDF with that, which gives journal pages so that you can actually track what you're doing daily and weekly, both from your eating perspective and from the feelings perspective. So it's a really good starting place if you want to just be able to explore it yourself and just start to make a few connections. And, you know, again, if you work with it and you and you're consistent with it, you will learn a lot about what you're doing and you will be able to resolve some of those issues for yourself. But we also have a network of practitioners who are trained and will be able to work with you. And, you know, we do have a policy where, you know, our, our, our practitioners do try and offer reduce, you know, some sliding scale places or pro bono. I'm not I'm not saying that that's widely available, but that is something that we, you know, most practitioners are happy to try and work with you in some way, shape or form. So visiting our website, eatingfreely.com, you will find the network of practitioners. And a lot of our practitioners, you know, even if there isn't somebody in your area that you can see in person, most of our practitioners also work online. So please don't feel don't feel worried about reaching out, um, but do reach out and ask for help, you know, because this probably has made your life very small. You probably know that you're missing out on a lot, um, you know, because of your relationship with food. And it's not worth it. The payoff is not worth it. And there are people out there who can help you and you can resolve this and you can move on. So, you know, take that first step and reach out, whether it's self-help or asking somebody to help you. Um, Just take that first step and reach out and ask for the help that you need, because somebody is there and somebody will be able to help you. I love that. We'll absolutely include the links to your resources as well as Eating Freely, which is your organization where you have people. And I love the method that that you've stated that y'all work through. I think it makes a lot of intuitive sense as well as how it can really help a person break free from this cycle. And hopefully the goal is that they are the tools that someone can continue to go back to, to stay in this feeling of freedom. Well, Emma, I have so enjoyed our conversation. You are incredibly knowledgeable and full of wisdom about this topic, and I'm sure many others. Thank you so much for your time. And I I really would love us to continue a conversation in the future. I'd be happy to come back anytime, Kimberly. I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, I've really enjoyed the great questions that you asked because, you know, I don't get I don't get asked those questions a lot of the time. So thank you for your insight and for also being honest and vulnerable about your own experience. So I appreciate that, too. I could have talked to Emma for hours. I have so many more questions. I would love to dive even deeper with her on, and I hope to have her back in a future episode. For today, here are my key takeaways for you and how they can help you physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. My first key takeaway is realizing that if you are feeling shame after you eat, then that is a cue that there may be something deeper that you need to explore within yourself. Now, there is no shame in realizing that you need to get help for this, although I know that there may be a lot of stigma and a lot of feelings about that, but feeling shame after we eat, we are made to eat, we are made to be nourished well, but if we start to feel shame, then we're starting to have a negative feedback loop that we are implementing in ourselves, this negative self-talk, which can actually lead to staying stuck in this cycle and possibly even it getting worse over time. So if you are in this place and you listened to this episode and thought, you know what, that sounds like me, I can tell you that there have definitely been times in my life where this sounds like me. It's definitely something that I've struggled with on both ends for 12 years. So you are not alone. And thankfully, there are people like Emma who have really great resources that can help move you to getting freedom from these feelings that you're feeling. The second key takeaway that I have is when we are under high periods of stress, I thought this was a really poignant point. When we're under these periods of high stress, that means the cortisol, that that hormone in our body is increasing. And We crave when our cortisol is high, high fat and high sugar, because it's a way that we try to kind of 
access more dopamine in our bodies, which can help to decrease our cortisol. So I tell you this as a takeaway, because if you're in a period of life or you're going through a high stress situation at work, in your relationships, whatever it may be, and you find yourself turning to these high fat, high sugar foods, and it's feeding a further cycle of guilt and shame in your life, then realize that this is actually part of what your body's response is doing. I would encourage you to have some grace for yourself in that and in realizing the reason that this is happening isn't because I am a bad person. It is because I'm in a period of high stress and this is my body's reaction to this. Now, hopefully we can change those habits over time to cognitively choose and consciously choose, hey, let me find something healthier and more nourishing that can that can help me during this time instead of turning to donuts and chocolate chip cookies all of the time, right? That would be the ideal, but also give yourself grace in that. You can also, if you realize, you know what, there's a lot of high stress in my life right now, then an underlying key here is, well, what can we do to decrease the cortisol in your life? What can we do to decrease your stress levels? And I'm going to have a full episode on that coming out soon. I just decided I'm going to be doing a full episode about some stress reduction techniques that I've been using over the past couple of years that have really worked for me. But that would be the first key of where to turn. But then secondly, if you do end up having that donut, it's not the end of the world. Refer back to the episode I did with Amanda Nybert, where we talked about the the keys to weight loss. I can't really remember breaking the all or nothing mindset. I can't remember which episode it was, but it'll be in the show notes. You can also just type in Amanda Nybert, wherever you listen to podcasts, it starts with attraction, find her on it starts with attraction, listen to that episode. And we talk about breaking the all or nothing mindset. Just because you have that donut doesn't mean that you have to throw everything out the window. You get to make the conscious choice, just like Emma was saying, make that conscious choice of what can I do to choose a nourishing option for me at my next meal and not a punishing option for me. And the final takeaway on that note that I have is the HALT chart that Emma talked about. Using those questions as a barometer for you. Am I hungry or am I angry, anxious, or avoiding something? Is there a deeper trigger leading me to want to eat right now? Or am I lonely or bored? Or am I tired, tense, or am I viewing this option that I'm about to eat or did eat as a treat? When you get into the habit of really stopping and asking yourself that question before you eat or even after you eat, then you can help to really get to the core of the issues like we were talking about, those emotional triggers that are happening within us, and then consciously begin to choose the options that will be more nourishing for you over time and not the ones that are going to continue to keep you in this cycle of feeling stuck. Share this episode with someone who you believe would benefit from it. And as always, the best way that you can support me and this show is by leaving a five-star review if you believe the show deserves a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week, stay strong.